0: Thanks to our sponsor, Omega Management Group. Listeners of Crack the Customer Code receive a discount for registration at the 14th annual Omega Score Conference in Boston on May 25th through the 27th. This is the industry forum on CEM best practices to drive customer
1: loyalty. Check out this episode's show notes for your link and make sure to sign up today. Welcome to Episode 118
0: of Crack the Customer Code. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Listeners of this podcast can receive a 30-day free trial to experience for themselves. Sign up at audibletrial.com slash customer code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and here I am with my co-host, and the king of cool, customer service, Adam (laughs) Toporik. You like how I did that?
1: Yes, I like how you uh, added the qualifier. That was very nice. (laughs) Thank you so much. You know, I think today I can't even be the king of cool because our guest today is the king of cool. When we talk about what he does and what his organization, Make-A-Wish, does, I, I can't even hold the title today.
0: I, it's it's an amazing discussion, and I agree that we don't all, often discuss nonprofit organizations as well, and so that's why we're so excited to have David Williams, who's the CEO of Make-A-Wish. Uh, he really shares some of the ways they have... Considered all of their "quote unquote" customers and just how they make the magic happen, which is it's it it is really really a special conversation. I think so. I think we should just jump in. What do you think?
1: Absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about David?
0: Well, as president and chief executive officer, David Williams leads the national staff and 62 chapters of Make a Wish in its simple, heartfelt mission. Granting the wishes of children with life threatening medical conditions to enrich the human experience with hope, strength, and joy. Since 1980, the world's largest wish granting organization has granted the wishes of more than 250,000 children in the United States. Under his leadership, the National Office annual revenue has nearly tripled to $90 million. Distributions to chapters have increased fivefold to $56 million, and overall revenue including chapters, has increased by over $100 million to $300 million. Before joining the Make-A-Wish Foundation, William spent 11 years at Habitat for Humanity International, rising to Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. He lives in Arizona with his wife, Martha, and they have two grown children, Kate and Carson. It is absolutely our pleasure to welcome David to the program. Well, welcome, David. We're so happy to have you here with us today.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Well, we were just talking about how I had the privilege of seeing you speak at Customer Spark, which was an event in Dallas where we were both uh, participating. And one of the things that really stuck with me from your presentation was how challenging it can be to define the word customer for an organization like yours. Because it's easy to think that, you know, the Wish families are the customer, but you also have all these different groups of people who actually make things happen, like volunteers and donors and wish granters and even corporations and many, many other groups. So, for our audience today, can you please outline for us a few of those you define as customers for Make a Wish?
2: Absolutely, uh, and and you're uh, you're correct. Uh, wish families for sure. I think everybody. Gets that 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 they're the folks that we ultimately uh, serve as as our mission is to grant wishes for kids that have a life threatening medical condition and it's not just the child who's impacted when that illness is diagnosed it's the entire family so you know our ultimate focus is on that uh, on that entire family the child brothers and sisters mom and dad um, or you know whatever that uh, that family is but. You know there are a lot of other people that are involved, and you've kind of mentioned them uh, to make it happen. And so, for example, volunteers are a huge customer for us. Uh, we, <laughs> we don't pay these people, and yet the vast majority of the work that's done by Make a Wish is done by volunteers. These are these are folks that raise their hand and say, you know, I love your mission so so much that I'd like to give, arguably, their most important asset, their time. And so we have to treat them as a, um, as a customer, as a, uh, as a major donor. And so it's, uh, so certainly volunteers and, and just to give your audience a, a, a sense of this, we average about 30,000 volunteers a year in the United States alone. So these are individuals who either raise money for us, they govern the organization, they grant wishes, they, uh, they do all kinds of things. So. There's no Make-A-Wish uh, without without volunteers. You mentioned uh, corporations. We're very fortunate that we have a number of of corporate sponsors, and again, these are folks that, from a customer standpoint, uh, do they love our mission? Absolutely, they love our mission. But you know, they're in business to be able to sell a product, uh, and and more and more corporations are looking to their uh, their philanthropic partners as a way to. Uh, promote their brand uh, as a way to achieve strategic objectives. Uh, most corporations have objectives where they want to engage their employees, their customers they and, and so they want to work with a nonprofit that number one is easy to work with, number two that resonates with their brand, uh, and that number three you know is making a difference um, and so our corporate sponsors are absolutely. Customers of ours, we have to see it that way. Again, there are 1.8 million charities in the United States alone, and so wow. corporate, corporate sponsors have a lot of choices. Uh, and and so you know, we if we don't treat them as a customer, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, you know, the next one you mentioned, we're just individual donors, and these are uh, people that are you know they're not corporate sponsors. They're people like you and I again who have a lot of choices and they make a gift some are very large most are very modest and uh and again they want to be able to their contribution uh no matter how modest it is they they want to know that it's making a difference that there's a tangible result and so we have to interact with them in a way where they feel recognized and appreciated and feeling like they are uh, able to make a difference. And you know, in the last category, and I only say this because we have about a thousand of them around the country and they are our board members. So Make-A-Wish is a federation. We have 62 chapters around the country. Each of those chapters is governed by a board of directors. And what's interesting is that these board members are all the categories that I've just mentioned. They're volunteers, they're individual donors, they typically represent a corporation that is also sponsoring the uh, the organization. But the final uh, uh, kind of role that they have is that they're the ultimate stakeholder as they hold fiduciary responsibility for the chapter in that part of the country. And so it's one more uh, stakeholder or customer that we have to particularly pay attention to. So... You know, that was a very long answer to your question. <laughs> no, we, it, it <laughs>
0: needs was, a long answer.
2: <laughs> we do have a lot of customers, and we need to be able to, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. treat them uh, in, in, uh, in a unique way where they feel that they're a stakeholder and an important part of our organization.
0: Well, it's, it's really fascinating because you do have to – because each of the groups that you mentioned, too, they have different kind of needs and missions and everything on their own, too. But one of the things that struck me as well after I heard you speak was just how much effort it takes to really coordinate some of your, your bigger wishes. And ironically, right as I was traveling again, about a week or two later, I saw a family at the airport who was they were on their way to disney and they had this big packet of information from make a wish and i i was like it's probably one of those things that i've been around people in airports a lot who are participating in some way but because i wasn't really tuned into it i didn't notice and you know it's it was it struck me as the packet of information even how much coordination it takes from all those different groups that you mentioned just to really fulfill one wish and to think about the the many, many wishes that you fill it 's an amazing process it 's an amazing organization, so
2: yeah, well, thank you. you know last year fourteen thousand eight hundred wishes a wish is granted somewhere in the United States every thirty five minutes and so wow um, amazing. And, and, and that it 's done by volunteers is just amazing to me as well
1: well let 's mm-hmm. talk about that because that 's something that I find very interesting is we talk about employee engagement a lot in this on this podcast and it seems like you've got a self-selected group they're probably pretty engaged because they came to volunteer right so the question is you got 62 chapters thousand board members uh, national presence how do you manage the the complexity how do you is it a hub and spoke how do you approach managing these different stakeholders and customers to deliver to the end customer
2: right well typically uh in you know, I mentioned uh, earlier that we do have a federated model, which is uh, which is a little bit more of a complexity. And so each one of these 62 chapters is an independent 501c3 organization, their own board of directors, their own budget, their own staff, uh, their own group of volunteers. And so, you know, I think when you look at um, and, and what that does is that it really promotes a very entrepreneurial um, uh, mindset in that. People who volunteer and who work uh, with Make a Wish, you know, they're as much proud of the fact that they are part of the, you know, you put it in there, uh, the Colorado chapter that, uh, as they are that they're working with Make a Wish because they have an affinity for, and we all do, for where we live, the 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 city that we live in, the state that we live in, and the idea that, from a philanthropic standpoint, that you're supporting. Uh, kids that are right here in our community or in our state, uh, it, this is something that is tangible. It happens fairly quickly. Uh, so it's not, say, funding research that's going to help kids 20 years from now, which is important, but I think people also, you know, look for something that's uh, that's tangible and a little bit more uh, immediate. So I think the, um, you know, our challenge, as you mentioned, with volunteers is that, uh, you know, they've kind of taken that first step. So the passion is typically there. Our job is that we've got to be able to maintain it. And so, you know, how do you do that? Well, I think that ultimately, even volunteers don't ultimately work for free. We all need to get something out of an experience. And it's different for for different people. Some people like that public recognition. Other people, <laughs> they'll they'll run as fast as they can from it. That is not, <laughs> uh, they, they don't want to be recognized. But everybody wants to I, I think, feel appreciation. And uh, and secondly, I think everybody wants to know that their effort is making a difference, especially if they're volunteering. And so I think that, you know, knowing that they're able to do that, and then finally that they're part of a community, um, that they're part of a community of volunteers, Are in our case, part of the community of, of Make-A-Wish in, in a particular part of the country. I think that's really important. We all want to... Uh, you know, feel that we're part of something greater uh, than ourselves. And so I think there are a lot of things that our chapters do to make sure that those volunteers feel appreciated and that they're part of a community and that they're recognized and that they're prepared and well-trained. You know, nobody wants to be put in a situation where they don't know what they're doing. And so, you know, we have at a national level, Make-A-Wish University that has a lot of online courses and that goes all the way down to local engagement where it's more one-on-one, but we want to put people in a position where they're also successful, where they're good at what they do and they have a great experience and what they've done makes a difference. And if all that's in place, then I think that's the formula for, uh, for an engaged uh, group of people, even if they're volunteers, even if you're not paying them. Uh, I think that, that, that does the trick.
0: Well, and I think I am really uh, interested in how you guys have also followed up on what works and what doesn't with these wishes, or what can we do better, or you know what works for volunteers. How do we recognize them? All of those things. It, it, I know you guys have, throughout time, really learned a lot just from all the wishes that you've granted, as well as actually taking some time to debrief and look at it and understand and and get feedback from these people as well, what worked and what didn't. Right. And so one thing you shared was how important you've learned anticipation is to mm. creating a memorable experience and how it's not always about the actual end result of going to Disney World or whatever the wish is. It's about right. that anticipation and planning. And so I'm curious, how do you think that can apply to other organizations, whether they're nonprofit or not, to really build anticipation to create a more memorable experience. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, you know, that's a great question <laughs> uh, because, because really, you know, the whole idea of anticipation, it's an interesting concept, especially in this day and age, because my guess is, is that, uh, you know, the people that you work with uh, would would say that, uh, th- this is kind of the exact opposite of what 's going on in our day and age in our day and age we want to be able to make the customer experience as quick mm-hmm. as immediate <laughs> as instant and as easy as possible and, and i mean instant gratification and it 's not it 's not even instant gratification it 's just well, I guess it is. It's yeah. you know, it happen- <laughs> it's, it's, it's now, right? You want to yep. be able to do it now, and because um, we live in a busy world, and everybody's got you know uh, overcommitted and all that kind of stuff, and so anticipation is <laughs> the exact opposite of that. But um, but yet we also know that you know when when if you if you think about it from a personal standpoint, uh, anticipating a vacation or anticipating a um a going to an event or a concert or or anticipating going out to dinner with your friends or you know all that or or even saving money for a for a, that new whatever uh that new TV whatever it's it's uh, it it can be it can be something that's good when you don't have you know control over over you know when that day is going to going to get there and i think that in our case with make a wish where the, ultimately the question that has been asked for that for that child is if you could wish for anything i mean anything what would that be and so this isn't just you know uh, hey, I can't wait to have dinner with my friend this weekend. This is, I have thought long and hard about this. First of all, I'm in the fight of my life. I'm, and, you know, my whole family is, is in this. And uh, number one, but number two, you've asked me a question about one wish. And so it's, it, it's a big deal. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's a big deal because of what's going on in their life and because, it's because of the question that was asked. And so, because it 's so big, um, we find that that anticipation, first of all, being able to focus on something other than their illness uh, secondly it 's what they 've wished for, not for something that somebody else has has wished for. but we hear time and time again from that uh, from that child and from that uh, from that family that the anticipation of that experience was as powerful you know, as the wish ex- itself, which is, which is just really, I think, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, you're talking about kids and families that are, their daily routine is radiation and chemotherapy and doctor mm-hmm. visits and shots and tests. And I mean, just in, and over a long period of time. And so, you know, when we're able to insert something that is totally, uh, kind of off their radar screen, the last thing that these families are typically thinking about is uh, boy, being able to do something extraordinary remember everybody 's first wish is for that child to get better mm-hmm. and and that 's what everyone 's focus is on, and so for us to be able to insert this in there and for there to be an anticipation is uh, is really great, and so how that gets brought into. Other companies, honestly, I don't know. The, the The one thing that I do know is that when I was a young kid, I remember um, being part of a. Uh, uh, there was an old basketball hoop that my dad took down. That all winter long, I was part of the, you know, the painting of it and the fixing of it and all that kind of stuff. And couldn't wait for the spring where we were going to dig the hole to plant that pole for the for the basketball hoop and all. But but seeing that and anticipating. It mm-hmm. uh, for so long. I know I had a much greater appreciation for when that thing was was put in, uh, and that I still play. I played basketball this morning. Uh, here oh, I am, nice. seven years old. <laughs> nice. It's a game that has stuck with me, and I and I uh, uh, to my core, I believe it was because it do- just didn't plop in my lap one day. I dreamed about it, I thought about it. I was part of the process of of building it. and so you know for the listeners today, I think anticipation is a very powerful um, uh experience, and it's something that they should uh, that they should think about it as they think about their own product and the customers that they have.
1: But one place where your model is very different is we always joke about oh well these customer these crazy customer service stories that are so amazing aren't representative of customer experience and they're little one-off things. But your whole organization is dedicated to a bunch <laughs> of these one-off experiences. True, right. uh, it's right. amazing, and that and that and the way you're designing these sort of uh, for lack of a better word the, you know, these individual touch points is really neat. So what we'd love to hear, and I'd love to hear myself and share with our listeners is some, uh, some great stories, some of the, you know, I'm sure you've got a million, but what are your favorite, most unique, memorable Make-A-Wish stories?
2: Yeah, well, let me tell you three quick ones because I think they each kind of touch on, uh, on something different. You know, the, fir- uh, the one that I always want to tell is the very first one. And what to me is so remarkable about it is that there was no Make-A-Wish around. And so back in 1980, there was a little boy named Chris Gracious who had leukemia, And uh, he loved a certain TV show that some of our older listeners uh, will be familiar with, but it was a show called Chips. And for (laughs) those who aren't familiar with Chips, it was two highway patrolmen in Southern California, and Chris loved that show. And when he grew up, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be able to catch the bad guys. Well, in 1980, if you had leukemia, there was a 95% chance that you would not survive your illness. And so as his condition digressed... A group of volunteers got together and said, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great for him to be able to experience what it's like to be in a uniform and to, you know, ride on a motorcycle and in a helicopter and a, a police car? And it's exactly what they did. They got with the Arizona Department of Public Safety, one volunteer sewed a uniform. And what I think is remarkable about it, unfortunately, he, he experienced it, and a couple of days later, he passed away. What I think is extraordinary about that story is that, number one, there was no organization, it was a group of volunteers who just said, you know, we should do something for uh, this this kid who's going through this. But then what I think was even more remarkable is that they didn't then say, well, you know, uh, well, that was a good thing. But, you know, now we need to get back to our families or we need to get back to our jobs or we need to get to back to, you know, real life. They said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll bet there are other kids like Chris out there. Why don't we start an organization? And, you know, since that day, uh, which is actually uh, in a couple days, April 29th. Uh, will be thirty six years, uh, but in those thirty six years worldwide over three hundred and fifty thousand kids, just like Chris have been impacted by receiving a wish and it 's all because you know six people who were volunteers decided that you know they did a good thing and they wanted to uh, they wanted to help other kids so I, I always think that 's a uh, uh, an amazing story. When I was interviewing with Make a Wish, there was a wish that was going on at the time. I remember looking at it on the uh, on the internet, and it was a girl. Uh, it was about a girl named Hope Hope Stout in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, who uh, whose wish turned out to be when she was this precocious little redhead and uh, asked a lot of questions and wasn't sure what she wanted her wish b- to be. But uh, at that time, that chapter was experiencing a lot of. Financial challenges, uh, but hope's school raised the money for her to be able to go on her wish, and so when that was explained to her that hey you 're not going to have to wait because uh, your school already raised the money for your wish, she said, Well, how many other kids are there that are you know that don 't have schools like mine that that did that? Well, there are one hundred and fifty five kids that were on a waiting list, and so she said, Well, my wish is for those one hundred and fifty five kids to raise the money for those hundred and fifty five kids to get their wish." And everybody tried to talk her out of it. Her parents, the wish granters, uh, the 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 staff of the chapter. It's like, no, hope. This is this is about you. This is about you know a wish for you. And she was determined. She said, "Look, you said I could wish for anything, and that's what my wish is." And believe it or not, in a short period of time, the community of Charlotte uh, came together and they raised over a million dollars. Uh, she passed away right before that uh, that wish was, uh, uh, that before that was granted. But it was done, and I think about that, and I remember at the time when I was interviewing for this position thinking, oh my goodness, this is a lot more powerful than just sending some kid to Disney World. Mm. Um, uh, and, and it just, it, oh. it, is, it is a wish that will always uh, kind of stick with me. And the last one is kind of a, a fun one, in that uh, here at our national headquarters, we have a, a big picture of a, of a young man who is on an assembly line in a pickle factory along with a number of women uh, they're all in hair nets and in white coats and pickles are are going by on this assembly line and that was his wish he wanted to be he wanted to work in a uh, in a pickle factory, and the reason for it was because when he was going through his treatments, uh, pickles were the one thing that kind of he still had a um, uh, a taste for and he loved them and he loved everything about them. And so <laughs> that was kind of, that was kind of his wish. And so we have a cube area that we call the pickle pod and there's a big old picture of this young man and, uh, and and the coworkers that made that wish happen. And for me, it just is a reminder of that, you know, it, this is really about what the child's wish is and children have amazing imaginations and, you know, and our job is to make sure that we do everything we can to get to the heart uh, of the wish, to get to the why, you know, why do you want to do something? And then with our volunteers to be able to kind of move heaven and earth to be able to make it happen.
0: Mm, gives me chills. It really does. It's, uh, it's amazing.
1: So powerful, David. I, I got to tell you, 118 episodes. I think this is the first time I've gotten a little misty-eyed. So. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a, those are those are truly powerful stories. It's an amazing thing you do with Make a Wish, and and everyone at Make a Wish does.
0: Yes, well, I agree.
2: Well, thank you. Well, I, I will tell you that. Um, we have uh, we have an amazing group of people, but having said that, if I could just put in one last, uh, I- as proud as we are of uh, the number of wishes that we've granted, uh, fourteen thousand eight hundred, uh, the reality is is that over twenty seven thousand kids are diagnosed every year, and so in baseball terms, we're batting five hundred, and uh, and I think that's our. You know, Our vision is that we want to grant the wish of every eligible child because we know how powerful these experiences can be. Mm-hmm. And so if there's any listener that's out there that has uh, been moved by the conversation today, uh, we have a chapter in every community uh, in this country. And um, and again, if someone would want to be a wish granter or to be on a committee or to be able to raise money for us, to be able to donate airline miles, uh, three-quarters of all of our wishes involve travel. There are so many ways uh, to be involved. They can go to wish.org, uh, where we have, um, that you can find where the closest chapter is, uh, to where you live and all kinds of information on there. Or if you just want to go there and, and listen to and watch, uh, a story like a couple of the ones that I've mentioned, uh, it's a reminder that, you know, a lot of times we think we have problems in our day and you, you just watch one of these stories and, and it's a reminder that in the scheme of things, uh, typically uh, the kind of issues that we're dealing with kind of pale in what these kids are are dealing with on a day-to-day basis.
0: Well, that's that's a perfect place to end and encourage everybody to stop by there at wish.org and really see how they can participate. And David, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the show. And I'm just so uh, grateful for everything that you and your organization do for these families. It's It's amazing. And uh, so thank you so much for sharing all that with our listeners today.
2: Thank you, David. Absolutely. Jeannie and Adam, thank you so much for, for the opportunity. And um, uh, this was, uh, the, I, I hope there are a couple people out there that, uh, that, that might become involved as a result. So thank you.
0: I bet there will be. <laughs> Thanks, David.
1: Thanks, David. Thank you. you bet. We hope you enjoyed episode 118 of Crack the Customer Code. You can see the show notes for this and all episodes. Subscribe and send us feedback at crackthecustomercode.com. Thanks to Audible.com for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to sign up for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash customer code.
0: I'm Jeannie Walters. Don't forget you can find all our show notes and episodes at crackthecustomercode.com. And I'd love to connect with you. Learn more about me at 360connects.com. That's 360-C-O-N-N-E-X-T dot com.
1: And I'm Adam Tuporik. You can connect with me and find out more about our customer service workshops and training at customersatstick.com. And if you have a little love for us, we love reviews. Reviews on iTunes help others find us, and we appreciate them very much. Until next time, take care of yourself.
0: And take care of your customers.